Hello, everybody, and welcome to Solid Steps Radio. My name is Chad Russell. That is Kurt Souter, and this show is about men for men from a man's perspective because guys are really good at talking about sports, weather, and politics, but we wanted to be a avenue to talk about some of the bigger things in life. And uh, one of the things we've always wanted to do on the show is tell the story that God is writing in a man's life from his own perspective. And so today we are going to uh, share a story. In fact, it's a story big enough and weighty enough that we needed two shows to do it. So depending on when you hear this, this is the first of two shows. And uh, we're going to be talking with a dear friend of mine. And uh, it, it is an incredible story, but it's a story that you think that the end is the end and the end and you pull up and you see the police and the sheriff's department zipping up your son in a body bag. You think, my goodness, what can you do with this? But you're going to hear that God will take the worst thing that could happen to someone and say, I can do something with that. And today you're going to hear that story. So, uh, we, Trey, it is great to have you on the show. Kurt, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I, you know, I've been here for a year uh, sitting over in the corner. And, uh, <laughs> we were prepping you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to see how he acts and make sure he can act right before we get him live on there. Listeners, if you, um, I wish you could see Trey because um, when the first time I met him, Chad goes, now, you know that Trey could, he could probably break every limb in our bodies within about 30 seconds, both of us, and like, uh-oh, <laughs> who is this guy? Uh, but Trey, we have come to love you. And listeners, he has come in almost every time we've done a new show, yeah. and he just comes in and listens and is watching us. And uh, He's and, our studio audience slash security. Yes. Yeah. In case yeah. anybody gets out of line. That's right. We'll make sure they're telling the truth. <laughs> that's you know? right. So Trey, you, you've got quite a story. Uh, let's, let's start from the beginning. You, uh, you, you have relatives that came. Yeah. My, uh, family line uh, on my mom's side, the Cox family came here 40 years after the pilgrims at Plymouth rock and, uh, you know, migrated down. Uh, and, uh, so they've been, you know, they were Puritans. They've been here a while and they ended up in the Oklahoma territory. They called it Indian territory is where they ended up. And, and you have a lot of Cherokee blood and, uh, Chickasaw blood, uh, in, you know, my grandmother was dropped off on a horseback uh, at three years old, you know, in like 1903, Oklahoma, Winnema State. So that was the adoption, the way she was adopted back then. So Really? Yeah. Now, you said your mom or your grandmother was like full Cherokee? Yeah, my uh, on my dad's side, my grandmother was uh, uh, Cherokee. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a funny history. They, uh, you know, I've got, uh, you know, they did the uh, Trail of Tears, which they drove all the Indians to Oklahoma, and a lot of them stayed. You got the Eastern Band, and you got the uh, Appalachian. Uh, the, you know, the Indians ran up into the mountains with the runaway slaves and stayed with the hillbillies. Well, the military didn't want nothing to do with any three of those people, so they left them guys alone and it started a subculture. And, uh, you know, it was... Uh, it was important enough that my grandmother wanted to teach me about it. You know, it was uh, it was important enough that she wanted me to know about it. But uh, she also told me, "Don't tell a lot of people about it." <laughs> so here we are on the radio. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, you know. So, but but she she began to tell you uh, how many years ago she 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 was well, kind of kind of filling you in on the always, family history. She had always mentioned, you know, our family goes all the way back to the Cherokee Nation. You know, and the Cherokee Nation around here was like 1730s to the 1830s in Kentucky before they were drove uh, drove to Oklahoma. But uh, you know, she'd always say that, and my mom would always shut her down. No, we, we, you know, it was always like. 
we don't talk about that you know it was and, and it took me a lot of years to figure out why you know it took me you know it was a different time back then you know so so i mean what 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 do you think why was that well because um you know they were indians the way she was raised in the 30s indians were savages you know they would steal anything that wasn't bolted down. i mean that's come out of my mom's mouth you know she would tell me these things and you know they were uh you know they weren't allowed to you know, they would just shoot them on sight you know it was uh they were you know they had to stay at their own land and and they didn't want them around anytime they were around they had to call the indian police so it was there was a lot of fear i think involved with uh not knowing and uh, she didn't want anyone to know that you know it was just something we she i always remember saying oh she doesn't know what she's talking about that's what she would say she doesn't know what she's talking about <laughs> but you grew up out yeah i grew up in i was born in north dakota and that's what seemed crazier indians everywhere you know i mean that's 90 percent of the population in north dakota is indian uh the others are ukrainian as a matter of fact i saw on the on the news with with everything that's going on over there so it's uh you know my dad was up there in the military and i was born on actual uh, uh it's called fort, fort berthold it's a it's indian reservation uh and a lot of people, you know, there's not like there's teepees out and everything. You just pass a sign that says you're on Indian land, and, you know, that's all it is, you know. And you got, and you mentioned before we even started the show, you've got a famous great uncle. Yeah, they, uh, uh, Cap Anson, he played baseball in the late 1800s, uh, end of the early, I think he played baseball longer than anybody. And uh, we've got his baseball cards, folks. If you if you just Google, ask Siri, go to Google, and you will find his great uncle in the top twenty hitters of all time, Major League Baseball. I'm I, I was blown away when I saw that. You'll recognize almost every name one through nineteen. Then you'll get to one. Who's Cap Anson? Well, now you know. <laughs> that's your great uncle. Yeah, they call. Well, he was a captain in the Civil War, and that's what they called him, uh, Cap. I got his name. Wow. <laughs> now, how his real he, name was Adrian. <laughs> how was he related to the? Who was it? He who, was my. Uh, he was my great grandfather's uh, brother. First one that came over. And so, okay, so you 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 were born in North, North Dakota, Dakota, and then you came here. Well, uh, from North, my dad, like I said, my dad was in the military, and we moved around. Uh, and from North Dakota, we went to the. Uh, my mom's from Oklahoma, so we spent a lot of time in Oklahoma, but. We were moved to South Texas, so you know something from real cold to something real hot. <laughs> I mean, I never saw snow in South Texas. I mean, it was 125 degrees. I mean, it was brutally hot, and but you just got used to it. You know, it was uh, it was good childhood. It was out and we were out in the open. It was out in the wilderness, and you know, I got a friend here that always the weather's bad. I said that's Wednesday in Texas because we had tornadoes all the time. You know, you get scared to death and lets us know about tornado. You know, we just. That was part of life, you know. It was you could have a tornado and watch it in your backyard, and uh, then the sun would be out. So it was a great life, you know. I, you know, I can't complain. But you know, it was during Vietnam. Uh, I do remember. I have some memories of. Uh, you know, Chad asked me some childhood. I remember people not coming home, you know. So I remember a lot of loss and you know dads and and moms going off and not coming back. So I mean, there were there was some of that kind of you know that. You know, I knew something was going on, but I really didn't know, you know, the magnitude of it till we got up here with the war and everything, because it was ending at that time. And then, and then you move. When did you move to we, the I Louisville was, area? I was ten years old uh, when we moved here in '74. Vietnam was still going on. My dad was, was part of the Saigon Airlift, and we were uh, we moved up to Kentucky. We had some family that moved from Ashland, where they're originally from, to Louisville to start a business. So they had started a family. So business. you said that 
when you came to Louisville, it was a kind of a, almost a bigger culture, culture shock, shock than yeah, even yeah, living in, yeah. in. Well, first I, I forgot my dad got me involved. I got a big red spot on my face when I was real little, and he got me involved in martial arts when I was five. Nineteen, it was nineteen sixty nine. It was called karate and judo, and that was it. So I started that when I was five years old because that that adds to my story. But but when we moved up here, he, I didn't know what my dad was really doing for me. But when we moved up here. Uh, there was all this busing going on, and they were burning buses and crosses in yards, and you know all the rioting, and and I just did not understand what was going on because where I came from, everybody was brown, black, red, you know, especially on military bases. There's a you know every everything. You didn't go around saying the kind of language that was being said around here now, and I really didn't understand it. And I remember my mom said, "One day you'll you'll understand what's going on," and. You know, it was kind of then it was hitting me. Well, maybe that's why she didn't want people to know we're Native American. And that's why, you know, it's kind of some things were coming together at that time. Yeah, I mean, you were you you came face to face with racism. Oh, yeah. Bad. From the from the get go when you yeah. moved here. Right. So it, it's when you came here, you have this shock from the culture standpoint. But then you kind of you're now embracing the lifestyle of living in. Well, you said a family business. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. My uh, grandfather was, uh, he was, uh, you know, I'm fourth generation drunk. Just let me, you know, alcoholism runs rampant in my family. So, uh, you know, he was uh, in the in the Navy during World War II and was a machinist. They claim he was one of the best machinists in the Navy. Well, he opened a business. And uh, to get bigger, they had to move it to Louisville. You know, General Electric was here. Ford was here. Some, you know, some big stuff. So. Uh, they put me to work at a uh, a very young age, very young age. You know, I started out at 10 just working Saturdays. Right. And I did like money. But, you know, by 12, I was full-time. After school, I would go to work. And it, you know, it uh, it would be called uh, uh, against the law now. <laughs> child I, child it's labor. It's a nice way I can say that without hurting anybody's feelings. Right. You know, <laughs> highly illegal. Yeah. So we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. And in the next segment, we're going to hear more about growing up in Louisville and, and kind of hitting manhood. And what does that look like in Trey's life? And, and knowing that there is a there is a, a flow to life that you see as a childhood to manhood. And you're still trying to figure stuff out. Well, Trey was figuring stuff out on the go in the Army. So we're going to take a break. Oui. Come back shortly. Hear more about that here on Solid Steps Radio. We want to thank Ellen and Credit Union. They have been a sponsor of this show since the beginning. They've been around for decades, and they have been helping the Louisville area. If you have a business, personal, checking account needs for your savings, home loan, car loan, Ellen and Credit Union can take care of you. Vision First Eye Care, 11 cities, six Louisville locations alone. You are more than a set of eyeballs. If you want to help your vision, you need to go to Vision First for your contact and or glasses needs. And also Frank Enterprises, we want to thank them. They are professional septic tank landscaping and wastewater management services they are as good as it gets if you got water going on outside somewhere and needs to drain they are the people to talk to about that so trey uh, i'm just fascinated by your life and uh, your story talk talk to our listeners about your home life growing up well when we moved up here and then after my dad came back we uh, uh my dad was really involved in the family business i mean it was my grandfather uh my dad and his two brothers uh and uh then there was a little bit of drama that went on, and they fired a brother, and you know that kind of tore the family. There was some. I, I didn't. I was young enough. I didn't know what was going on, but uh, I know there was because the family was real close, and then it kind of broke up. But uh, 
you know and then they put me to work there and uh you know it was like like i'd said in the other half it was uh it you know it was it's probably illegal today you know more like child labor laws and stuff but uh you know one thing i remember about it was uh you know it was i was full time and 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 as a kid you know you mess up you know 10 11 12 you know whatever you messed up at home went to work you know and then they were ripping your behind at work from what you did at home and if you messed up at work then it went home it was like i could never get you know any relief you know and it was like you know in this whole time you know my dad and them you know they were rough on me you know they uh they uh uh, and you know it's illegal <laughs> probably child abuse the way i was raised you know a lot of beatings and uh you know it, it got to where it was just the threat of uh you know it was a lot of fear you know that's how we were uh that's how we were raised with a lot of fear but a lot of alcoholism in the family you know my grandfather i saw him get so drunk he'd be up on the roof they'd have to call the fire department come get him down he'd be up there working on the roof and you know little things that had always been going on that you know i started figuring out what they were you know my dad uh was uh, you know, he went to work every day, but then he drank every day. So it was like it, he was a, I guess, functioning alcoholic. I never once knew him to even be sick and miss work. I mean, he, matter of fact, he, when he died, he was still going to work, going down to the office at eighty-six years old. So really, he, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he just uh, he had to have a, you know. And my mom said, "Thank God he's got a place to go. I'd kill him if he stayed here all the time." <laughs> You know, they were married 68 years, so, you know, it's, it's a different time back then. But, you know, it was a real rough. Uh, did you ever see the movie or hear of the great Santini, this guy? This, it was like that, you know, and I, I want to be respectful and everything, but it was rough. You know, we, uh, we, you know, he told you once. But, you but, know, I have to look back. My dad was, you know, same way. You know, my grandfather being an alcoholic, his dad. So it was just a, just a cycle uh, uh, of the way that they were raised and beat on and, and and lo I mean he loved me I knew he loved me, you know. Tell me, when did you recognize that your dad was an alcoholic? You know, little things like some gun violence down in Texas. You know, uh, I don't know what happened, hollering and screaming, but I know my mom had a gun on him and he was drunk and uh, you know he blow himself up. You know, getting uh, charcoal <laughs> lighter fluid on it and burn all the hair off his head. You know, little little things to to more, but you know, wrecking a motorcycle uh bad i mean to where you know he's gonna make it and my mom i remember we were little my mom taking us to the hospital and said is he if he's not dead i'm gonna kill him i remember mom saying that and he survived but i mean it was just you know one thing after another you know always always something you know that uh so you, as you're growing up uh you at 17 years of age did something well, I uh, here's what it was. It wasn't. I, I had three choices. <laughs> okay, it was. Uh, I'd been working for my family full time for five or six years, man, and I and I didn't really like that. You know, they were hard on me, uh, and I'd been going to school for twelve years, and I didn't really like that. So, and that was my option. So I said, <laughs> you can either stay here and work for us, you can go to college, or you're joining the military. And I said, where do I sign up? You know. So my mom uh, actually went down with me when I was 17 and signed me up. So because, I mean, you had to be 18. Yeah, you had to be 18, but I had to get out of here. You know, it's like that song about evil. You say, evil, you got to get out of here. I knew I had to get out of Louisville. It was killing me. I just could not take it anymore. Now, what, now, what kind of choices were you making in those, that, in, the, in those teenage years? Well, I was always an athlete. You know, I'd always been doing martial arts and, and stuff. So I'd always... Uh, were you, st you were still uh, going through training and yeah, all that? Yeah, I'd done that. Uh, you know, my sport, you know, a lot of people play tennis and 
uh, football, I traveled around and, and competed in tournaments. You and know, tried, that to was, break, tried to break people's... Try to hurt people. You know, <laughs> That was how I dealt with things. It's not healthy, but it worked for a while. So, you know, I was always traveling around doing that, uh, and that was just, you know, my sport. So it was something... It was the only thing I ever did that I ever stuck with, you know, and uh, so I, I, you know, I kept it up. You know, little did I know, you know, it was going to end up to be this way to make money, this real cool thing now, you know, with all the MMA and everything now. It was, you know, we did all that stuff. I joined the Army, did the range, all that before it was cool. Now everybody wants to do that stuff, you know, so it's. So how long were you in the military? I was in there for uh, six years, six years before active and uh, two in the reserves. And you did, you were, you became a ranger? Yeah, I left. Uh, we I did some specialized training at Fort Benning, Georgia, and then we uh, we trained. We did some stuff, and uh, uh, my first duty station was uh, Berlin, Germany, and I didn't even know where that was at. You know, when I was seventeen, and uh, my mom was worried sick. You know, there was two of the most dangerous places in the world was uh, the DMZ in Korea and uh, the Berlin Wall. And I got uh, wall patrol, so you know I couldn't understand why everybody was so worried till I got to the airport and landed, and there was German shepherds and machine guns and tanks out there, and I'm like, what have I got myself into? And you were 17 at that? 17, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God! Culture shock. So you told me that one of the most, I guess, defining moments of your life while you were on that Berlin Wall. And it's something that was really etched in your mind. You said it didn't even really know how much it affected you until later. Yeah. What was that story? Well, uh, about the the family. Mm-hmm. I was uh, when you're if anybody knows anything about the wall on our side of the wall, you could walk right up to it. Very few people were trying to escape into the other side. They were all trying to escape. Uh, the Eastern Germany was trying to the cut, Soviet side. They, yeah, they were trying to, to get over. into Western Germany. If they if they tried to escape over there, we'd let them. We weren't going to stop them. We didn't want them, you know. But it, you know, it was our job to assist if they were coming over. But there was a certain point that where we could help. There was like a halfway, depending on where you're at. And I'd seen numerous people and heard of them because on our side you could walk right up to the wall and touch it. There was this beautiful art and graffiti on the other side of the wall. It was landmines, tank traps. I mean, it looked like you know hitler's world war ii still over there i mean it was dark and gray i mean where there was colors on the other side it was very dark and uh, you would hear of people uh getting shot getting killed trying to escape it was normal but when i was there on one mission when we were trying to uh to assist them there was a uh, a young man uh and his wife they were holding a toddler and they the father had uh, another four or five year old on his hands and they were almost at the halfway point and i mean i could see him and the soviets opened fire and just machine gun and cut him in half right in front of me and i mean it was just like i'm like oh my gosh and there was nothing i could do i couldn't retaliate i couldn't do anything and it i mean it was like i still see that that family that and then added up on that when we come back in a guy is taking off his equipment and a grenade goes off accidentally, and it blows him up in the air right in front. I mean, this is after we just seen this other stuff. Same day? It was on that mission. It was been 24 hours later. Okay, yeah. You know, within the same, we were on the same run uh, and blew himself up. I mean, it was like, uh, I, that's edged into me because it didn't even look real. It, didn't even, it looked like something you'd see in a horror movie. You know, the guts and the intestines laying out and the smell. And I'm 17, and I'm like, oh, my God. You know, what, what have I got, you know, what have I got myself into? But in my mind, I'm thinking, this is going to make me a tough guy. 
this I didn't. And as crazy as that sounds, I was thinking I had to toughen up. Mm. Wow. So at, at that time, you were in the military for how seven years? Six. Six years. And did you see yourself being a career guy at that time, or did you say, okay, I'm out? Well, I, want, I, was, I was wanting to be a, a federal agent, and uh, I got accepted to some specialized training, and, uh, you know, th- things didn't go. I wanted to be a, you know, I want to be with CIA. Okay. What I wanted to be. And uh, I had some opportunities, and, you know, thank God I'm not doing that anymore. Right. So, so uh, t- you got to tell a story real quick about the, uh, the, the Piggly Wiggly story. Oh, yeah, we were at jump school, and... Uh, Anybody's been through that. They have the, you know, jump school's only supposed to be three weeks. Why they send you down there and make you do it in six weeks, I don't know. But it's a lot of running, a lot of calisthenics and everything. But you have a ground week, a jump week, and a, you got a ground week, a tower week, and then a jump week. Well, the tower is just a 250-foot tower that raises you up and then drops, and then it releases a chute. You know, you fall real fast, and you're thinking, oh, this is, well, it's kind of like false security thinking that's, you know, how you're really going to fall. But you fall a lot faster at 2,000 feet when you're coming down out of that airplane. It's a lot faster and it's a lot scarier than they lead you on to believe. Tell you what, we're going to take a break. I want to hear the end of the story here in the next segment. We're going to take a break and be back shortly here on Solid Steps Radio. I want to thank our sponsors of our show, Louisville Podcast Studios. We are taping right now currently in the place that you need to if you're going to do a podcast or video, uh, video show uh, that you need audio and video podlu.com p-o-d-l-o-u.com if you say i don't know what equipment to buy i don't know what to do you just call this company you come in and i'm telling you you will look and sound professional for a fraction of the cost of what you think podlu.com bright star home care if you got somebody who you love who needs in-home care whether it's 24 7 once a week bright star care can take care of you that's brightstarcare.com and then Dan Hart Financial, if you want to talk about what a retirement should look like, want to look like, whether you're a year away or 10 away, Dan Hart can sit down and talk to you about a retirement. And now on the last segment there, Trey, we were had to cut you off. Uh, anytime you got to cut off a Piggly Wiggly story, you know it's it's good enough to, to continue. But last segment, if you're just picking up on this, uh, you're at dr- jump school in the Army, three weeks worth. Yep. And uh, tell us where you were in, in regards to that, uh, that jump tower. Well, we had... Uh uh, I was telling you about the jump tower because, you know, they, you only went up 250 feet on that, and it kind of blows you around a little bit, so you get a little bit of false sense of how it's going to go. So when, when we're doing live jumps, uh, it goes a lot different, but it does prepare you. But we were uh, we were doing a training jump, and uh, it was uh, very windy, and uh, we went way off course, and several of us landed in a Piggly Wiggly parking lot, which is a grocery store like a Kroger's, in the morning and the look on these old people's faces were like they didn't know if we were being invaded or what was going on there <laughs> but you know it was, it was funny we got you know it was uh and I, and to this day i when i'm at kroger's i think man what would i do if people were parachuting in here it makes me think about you know but guys are landing on cars and yeah. boom i mean <laughs> so that was a, a six-year career in the military and, yeah. and you know trey also you you went to south america yeah, did a little yeah. bit of time uh, down there. Uh, uh, they were uh, in, in Central America. Uh, they had a lot of, I uh, heard, uh, you know, Oliver North and Iran Contra and all that. And were we really there? Possibly. And, you know, so a lot of things were going on there. But uh, 
a lot of things happen that uh, the government doesn't want you to know about, so I'm not going to talk about a whole lot of things because but, uh, but, I like yeah. freedom. But I developed a drug problem down in uh, Central America. It started, that's when it started. It's really, I, I, well, it was cocaine, and uh, I found out I liked the smell of cocaine, just the smell of it. That was it. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> As it goes up your nose. Snort it. Tell me, how long did you then battle? Well, drugs? off and on. You know, when I was there, you know, it was always available. But I kind of battled it off and on. But it was very expensive. And I knew I couldn't afford it. But I liked it. You know, well, and I liked anything that made me feel different, really. And, uh, and, and what about alcohol at this point? I, I'd been drinking. Uh, you know, I'd grown up around alcoholism. And I just thought it was normal drinking. You know, my dad, you know, we were talking about uh, Chad had his son out for his 15th birthday. I remember my dad got me drunk on my, I mean, so drunk, my mom was mad. I mean, I had to carry me in. So, uh, you know, it was, if you're going to drink, drink at home. It was, it was not, uh, it wasn't a bad deal at our house. So, uh, you know, it's not the way I'd want to uh, 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 condone raising any other children. You know, uh, as long as you're drinking, at, and I hear parents saying, oh, as long as they're drinking at home. Yeah, right. Well, that's all you knew, basically. Yeah, up. yeah. I mean, so it wasn't, you know, drinking is, uh, you know, I, I I know people that drink every day, have to have a bottle, have to drink in them. I never was that kind of a a drinker, never drink. I couldn't drink hard liquor because I do crazy stuff. Like I stole uh, some hubcaps one time on some liquor. I didn't even have a car that the hubcaps fit, and I don't know why I did it. So I knew I didn't need to be drinking liquor. Beer was fine. So, uh, you know, alcoholism, drugs, you know, marijuana, I, I kind of stayed away from, there wasn't this big heroin issue or the pain pills issues back then. It was cocaine, LSD, and, and, and alcohol back in the, in the early, late 70s, early 80s was about all you could. Talk to our listeners about, you, you, so you're coming out of the military, though. Right. After, after six years, right. you meet somebody. Yeah, I, uh, well, I met a couple, some, I took some hostages, is what they call them when you, when you get a girlfriend. I, uh. I had met uh, a young lady at at, uh, Hooters and kind of was smitten by her, and it started a long, uh, you know, relationship of, you know, just partying and club life, out running around, uh, just uh, a lot of of fun, you know, at the time, what we thought was fun. But it was, you know, I'm going to be honest, it was a sick relationship, you know. It was, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, friends with benefits is how... I started a relationship. I mean, how crazy is that? You know, so, uh, and I was okay with that, you know. But eventually, kind of fast forward, what, what you know, fast forwarded into, uh, you know, we got married. So uh, now, uh, I had mentioned it's kind of like a Jerry Springer show. She, <laughs> when she had moved away and came back, and when she came back, she was pregnant with uh, uh, another man's son, not my son. And uh, about six months after she had the baby, me and her really started dating. So I, I helped raise that uh, uh, her first son, Princeton, and then then you guys had a- yeah we uh, you know we had a crazy relationship. I'm telling you, like crazy, like you know having to call the police on each other. I mean, just not uh, you know. And not, all not, she ever not, wanted not, me not to hel- do not a healthy marriage. Not well, just before we got married, it's just the you know sickness. You know, I she was running around chasing me, trying to get me to. She was really just trying to get me to quit doing things. You know, straighten myself out. You know, it's all, you know, sadly enough, if I'm honest, that's all she really wanted to do. But I caused her to do some crazy stuff chasing me around. So it was not, it was not, 
But but you, you got married. Yeah, we eventually got married. Uh, I went back up, as a matter of fact, 25 years ago on my birthday to uh, make amends to her. I'd gotten sober, you know, and uh, I'd been sober a month, you know, and I was going to solve all the problems of the world in one month. So I was going to go up to Hooters and make amends to this girl that I had treated oh so bad, you know. And uh, I just wanted some chicken wings is really all I wanted to say. I sorry. And then nine months later, we had a, uh, another son. <laughs> so we named him Lucky. <laughs> well it, it, and you name you know, I, I, in the break I, I said well what's his real name and you go his name is Lucky, Lucky. and um, so how old were you when you had Lucky I was 33 okay you know and I have to say that you know I did I was not I was not wanting to get married and I was not wanting to have a child and you know if I'm honest when I found out she was pregnant and and, and you know I I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I got to be honest when I say, I, I prayed for something to happen that she would not have that child. Now, where were you all in, uh, I know you really, we're going to get to that in, in down the road here in, in your walk of faith, but where were you spiritually at all? Where, then zero. I mean, I was in, I was doing another 12 step program and I had some spirituality, but no, zero Jesus. No, no Jesus. Zero. Jesus doesn't enter I mean, in. I knew about Jesus. Yeah. He was my homeboy, but I didn't follow Jesus. I didn't act like I knew Jesus, okay? You had heard of Jesus. I, I believed knew. in him, but I didn't. You, you know, had not received him. I, no, I, I was not doing anything. You were not walking the line at all. In I was, no. So he, you, you're married now, and you have Lucky, and so you've got a son and a, half, uh, a stepson, yeah. right? And uh, how were things going with that family dynamic? Well, believe it or not, in the beginning, okay. Yeah. It was okay. But then, you know, uh, there's some, some mental health issues on, on her side of the family, and it, her son had it. And, you know, uh, some jealousies. You know, once Lucky got to a certain age, I could tell Princeton was jealous with Lucky and the attention. And so, But, I mean, it was – we had some good times. Really, we did. But yeah. then, uh, at about – 2002 uh, she had ran into uh, I remember it was like Lucky was in Anchorage Presbyterian School and it was like the last day of school and we were going there for something I went in and she was having a panic attack because she had ran into uh, a family member that had molested her as a child mm. and it just started this uh, cycle of you know I don't even think there's a word in the English language for all that trauma and everything that that starts up and brings back up. I mean, it was just horrific what I saw her dealing with. And, and of course, that I wasn't following Jesus. I wasn't really loving and caring, sensitive person that sits before you now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wake up that way. But, you know, I was, I kind of gave up, right? you know, instead of sticking in and helping. And, and I got some guilt with that, you yeah. know. How long were y'all married? We were married eight nine. We got married in uh, ninety nine, and I think uh, the divorce was final in oh nine. Okay, so ten years. So well, I mean, together stuck, a lot longer. So you, I mean, you stuck together, but then and then you, you just you just couldn't handle it. And the, well, the I, I went back to uh, you know, I've learned a lot through my addiction and everything. You know, I went right back to uh, to feel different. You know, I had. Uh, you know, had some injuries, legitimate pain injuries that have to be on pain medicine, but I had relapsed. And uh, uh, so I uh, I chose drugs 
and alcohol over my wife and family who was struggling. So, so I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break, come back, and we're going to hear about how uh, that dynamic affected everybody in the family and uh, how you started seeing some things creep up on your son in his life. So we're going to take a break, be back shortly on Solid Steps Radio. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors of our show, Hadley Sign Solutions. Chris Hadley, for 35 years in designing, manufacturing, and installing commercial exterior electrical signage. He's as good as they get. Give him a call, 502-419-7228, 419-7228. There's two twos in there. and uh, Or HadleySignSolutions at gmail.com. Uh, Iroquois Family and Cosmetic Dentistry, Dr. Eric Veal. He has been a supporter of this show, I think, from the beginning. If you need your teeth cleaned they've got two locations in the louisville area one on the iroquois park area and then another one out in east jefferson county and then veritech generators if you need a generator for your home or your business or you have one that needs servicing veritech generators can take care of you for sure so trey you're married to cassandra uh you guys eventually the marriage ends and uh you got she she your stepson and then you've got your son right and and then what what's going on here when we were married i had a house in anchorage three acres great job two kids three cars camper had all that and uh gave it away i don't have that anymore you know i chose chose uh, drugs and alcohol over all that and, and lost that so uh my uh stepson went with his grandparents and then me and my wife ex-wife it took us a couple of years we were separated but you know lucky was back and forth and then come to find out, you know, with that back and forth, I'm seeing some behavior, you know, issues with him. You know, he'll play both sides of the fences. You know, I can't, when there's two homes, well, Dad let me do it, and Mom says this. And and then, you know, we got, I, you know, what I found was uh, I, I let him do a lot more and, and do things because I wanted to be that fun dad and, you know, and, and not, ha- so he, you know, he knew how to work that and use that and, you know, I'd let him stay at places, and he ended up, uh, you know, during this time, I had, had a car wreck, broke my neck, had to have a couple surgeries, and uh, was living at, living at one area of town to where I thought was safe and would let my son go up, and he ended up getting uh, some friends and, you know, sleepovers and everything, ended up getting molested. And it, it wasn't just like a one-time deal. It was like it was an ongoing four or five months from an older brother of one of the kids. And... Uh, I just gotten out of the hospital from my second neck surgery when I found that out. So I was all jacked up on pain medicine. And I remember uh, I grabbed a shotgun and a gallon of gas and I was going to go up the top of the hill and I was going to kill everybody and burn the house down. And I prayed and I had a moment of clarity and I called the police. And uh, that started, you know. You called the police? Yeah, I called the police to go up. You know, my son had been molested up there. And it was a big, you know, that's, they were uh, uh, Russian immigrants and the Catholic Church defended them. And no charges were filed. So now fast forward. Uh, Lucky's acting out from that. I can see. Uh, you, you, you mentioned in the, in the break, he, he, was, he had jumped off. Well, uh, through this period, he had uh, uh, he'd started cutting became a cutter and i didn't know much about that i thought it was just for you know i know a lot more now than than i did then but uh and he hit a lot of it but i noticed that the people he was hanging out with were cutting 
So, I mean, what he was doing, the people he hang, was hanging out with was doing. So it was uh, you know, a lot of, uh, he had a, when a motorcycle wreck, he had a bicycle wreck, had a severe head injury, put him in the hospital, uh, started having seizures after that. Uh, jumped off a building, survived, you know, just high, three-story building. Uh, jumped out of a moving car. You know, I got a call at, uh, at, in the eighth grade that he had uh, opened up uh, a pencil sharpener. Took the razors out and cut his wrists in class in front of the teacher. And they had him at uh, uh, Our Lady of Peace. And that's when it really hit me that, uh, man, I got something going on here that you would think all this other stuff would, would have you know, gotten your attention. Would have gotten my attention. But you, but you were, um, at that time, had you... I was in my own little world, man. I was on, uh, you know, I was on pain medicine from... I don't care what anybody says. You know, I was taking this prescribed, and but I, it's like you've got your own agenda. You're not thinking about love and kindness, and I think that's what what I've read about. You got to have a clear head in this in this deal to do it right, man. You can't be you can't have your judgment clouded on making. And I was, I was not. You know, I failed at being a good father to my son. Is what happened. I, I just, you know, I, I failed. I failed him. But at, at the same time, though, at some point, though, you did say, hey, I got to sober up. Yeah. And talk about just briefly your sobriety journey, but also how that also went ran right into uh, your son who is not right, sober. Right, right. Well, I had, uh, you know, I'd always, uh, you know, it all started with a drink and ended with a drink with me. So, I, you know, if I uh, I'd been on pain medicine, but taking this prescribed and I drank a couple times and usually just one day, you know drank when don't want to do that you know hangovers enough to keep me from doing it but you know the problem was when you get pain pills prescribed to you regularly you can over you can take those a little bit you can abuse those a little bit and nobody knows you know so i was really doing if i'm honest you know tell people so i was more concerned with that uh than than raising my son but i you know he was he was caught up in his own things and and i, and I wasn't seeing it you know i'm Remember, him, I caught him with a bunch of weed at home, and I was like, ah, and he's like, oh, I'm not smoking it, I'm selling it. I'm like, oh, that makes me feel better. You're, you're a drug dealer. <laughs> so I'm like, you ain't tough enough to be a drug dealer. So it's like, you know, I the little signs were there, and, and I remember that Christmas from 13 to 14 when I found him with that. I remember that was the first time he tried to man up and stand up to me. And I thought, what are you thinking? You know, he's up 110 pounds, maybe, soaking wet. And you've been doing martial arts? Well, when he man, I'm like three times the size, you know. And I'm, But I remember the first time he manned up to me, and I thought, man, that was, you know, looking back, it was, you know, one of several times. So talk about the evening where well, your I, sobriety and his non-sobriety just kind of ran into one. Well, another. we had, uh, he had uh, been kicked out of his girlfriend's and, he was trying to get it together and told me he wanted to get it together and but you know he had friends coming by and uh you know i had uh, it was a big night i had uh i had uh was celebrating five years sober and uh it was at my home group and i was kind of excited when we go out for dinner afterwards and i said you want to go lucky he's like no nah, i'm not feeling really well because he went a couple times i said all right no problem so i went to that you know and all the joy involved i mean it's a beautiful thing you know god doing his work and five years you know you don't think five years a long time get five years okay <laughs> get one day when you really want to drink so uh it was i was so excited and dinner was nice and and uh, there were some ladies involved that uh it was just a wonderful evening and then i come home and i'm wanting to share that with my son and he's like unconscious on the couch and i thought he was just asleep 
kind of shook him a little bit. And I didn't think nothing. And then something hit me in the kitchen that something was not right. And I ran back in, and I flipped him over, and he wasn't breathing. So I had to perform CPR on him. And it was, uh, at the, I thought it was the worst day of my life uh, to look down at my 18-year-old son that wasn't breathing and having to give him CPR. And then finally, this, I don't know what it was, came out, and he, he was able to start breathing. But he was in a coma after that and was in the hospital for quite some time. So... And in, in some ways, the he, range of emotions, happy to that, was unbelievable. And he and he, he never was the same. Not not really. No, he just struggled a lot after after that injury, after whatever happened. Even the the doctor, the doctor even told me he said he's having so many problems at this age that that he doesn't have much time left. If he goes at this rate, he'll have five years. If he continues to live this way five years and what and what happened and he made it uh uh three and a half i uh i uh he was he was dropped dead in an alley in front of a dumpster by his friends after a night of partying and then when was the last time you talked to him before that two weeks on uh, march 19th i had words with him and i told him i didn't want to see him again until he got sober and i regret that and the next time you saw him uh, they were zipping up a body bag on him in the alley, dead. And his mom screaming. Sound I wish no man would hear. So, um, listeners, we're gonna we're gonna stop and uh, segue. And, and how do you do that? Well, what you just heard was how could that get any worse? And uh, what happens when last time a man sees his son and he sees his dead body being zipped up into a bag? behind a dumpster and what goes through your mind well the next show if you're listening to this we're going to talk about from that moment on and how is trey even sitting here in this room right now only by god's intervention so i'm going to say a brief prayer and then we're going to hopefully you get to hear the next show father thank you lord your word says that what man meant for evil you will turn to good and that you work out things for those who love you And the beautiful thing about your grace and mercy is Trey didn't love you and know you at that time and you still work things out for him. You pursued him because you love him. Thank you for the story you're writing. In Jesus' name, amen. Listeners, thank you for listening. Hopefully you'll tune in, hear the next show, and hear what God did and is doing in Trey's life. Thanks for listening to Solid Steps Radio. Solid Steps Radio.